Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. I'm beautiful. Life 107.1. Sometimes in your life, you need to just get a little support, get a little help, get a little bit of of sunshine in your life. You know, especially if it's been a long week for you, you yeah. feel like the week's kind of beat you up. Yeah. Maybe you need a pep talk. A pep talk. I love pep talks. Where is this pep talk coming from? I found it on the interwebs. <laughs> and Set the stage, Taylor. There, there is a, a mother who is, uh, she's got her daughter on video and her daughter has just... Uh, Mashed her little fingers in the oh, door. Oh, no, she's... Oh, she, her fingers got caught in the door? And mom has a perfect remedy for it. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay, look at mommy. Look at mama. Uh, I know you smashed your fingers in the door, didn't you? Yeah. Okay, take a deep breath. Okay, look at mommy. Uh, Say, I'm okay. I will get it. Say, I'm strong. I'm strong. Say, I'm beautiful. I'm faithful. Say, I'm loved. I love. <laughs> Say, I'm worthy. I'm ready. You're beautiful. Thank you, Mom. Baby, I love you. I love you, Mom. <laughs> Feel better? Oh, my word. Little repaired after a long week. I love what the mom is saying. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm strong. I'm beautiful. I'm loved. I'm worthy. That's what I'm going to say to myself next time I stub my toe. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm loved. Oh, I hope I'm there. I'm beautiful. <laughs> we want to play a game with you. Mostly because Taylor's making me. But I, because uh, listen, the heard... world needs more games, Jen. Well, I, I would agree. Uh, you heard about this game on social media of some kind? Yes, it, it was in between all the fights. There was one little <laughs> glimmer of a fun, harmless game. <laughs> Thank goodness. I, I went searching through the muck so you don't have to. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, and what is this game? It's, it's a simple little game called Tell Me How Old You Are. Hold on, let I me, don't let me play that game. Let me tell you the rules. You tell me how old you are without giving me a number. Um. So here, let me go first. Okay, okay. I strongly remember being told to be kind. Please rewind. Oh, and like almost instantly, we know right around your age. You can peg me at right around an age because I spent many a Friday afternoon bouncing back and forth between Blockbuster and Hollywood video and every single cassette had be kind, please rewind printed right on there. Now, I'm all about telling the truth. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to our ages, we often don't want to reveal them. So that's why this game is so much fun. You you can reveal your age, but you don't have to give us a number. E.T. phoned home. <laughs> E.T. phoned home, huh? Oh, man. Taylor that, loves that movie. No, I don't. That movie's terrifying. <laughs> when she goes that in part. and he's, he's hiding with all the dolls and he's dressed up like one, that <laughs> scarred me. I love it when anybody ever brings up uh, E.T. because this is what I get. <laughs> I was screaming right along with Drew Barrymore. That's good to know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You are at a very good age. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Dad. It's a game. We want you to tell us how old you are. No, no, no. That's, yeah, that's the game. That's not the game. And then we laugh. No, no, that's not it. <laughs> we do want you to tell us how old you are, but we don't want you to give us a number. Kelly, how old are you? 
I watched Molly Ringwald have her 16th birthday with Jake Ryan on 16 Candles. You're 16 yeah. Candles year old? Yep, that old. Yeah, baby! <laughs> I know, it was so stinking sweet. I saw a meme almost than a month ago that said that he's like 70-something, and I just... <laughs> I went and had an Oreo cookie. <laughs> I took a Taylor turn, had an Oreo cookie, and I was fine. Tell us, how old are you, Becky, without giving us a number? Green Acres is the place to be. Keep singing. Farm living is the life <laughs> to live. <laughs> you don't know it. <laughs> you knew the first part. I'm old. <laughs> you know you've said it. That person that wrongs you, whether it's something as small as when your sister put a hole in your favorite sweater, <laughs> Dina, you know, and, and your mom says, you know, you're going to eventually have to forgive them. And you're like, but it's not fair. Forgiveness doesn't feel fair, Taylor, but God tells us that we have to forgive. And uh, Louis B. Smedes has this great book, The Art of Forgiving, and he says forgiving is actually the only fair response when you've been wronged. I, okay, wow. So You're going to have to explain that one. What does it, What does he say? He puts it this way. When you are wronged, you have three options. Okay. The first is to just deny. You overlook it. You say, oh, it wasn't really that big a deal. But that's not fair. No, that's not that's, fair. That's just pretending that something that is wrong was not wrong. Denial is not the same thing as forgiveness. If, in fact, if you just keep on denying, at some point it's going to come back up again, probably bigger and worse. Now, the other option is forgiveness, which let's put a pin in that because we've already said how hard it is to feel like that's fair. Yeah. Because the third option is revenge. Ooh. Where you want to make that person suffer just as much as you did, or you at least want to see them suffer just as much as you did. But God says vengeance is his. And here's why we can only trust God with vengeance. Uh, Lewis talks about how the victim and the victimizer weigh their pain on different scales. Well, that person might not even feel anything towards you. Yeah. That and person even, might not even think that they wronged you that much. And even if you're the one who goes and takes the vengeance, how can you guarantee that they're not going to see what you did to them and say, well, that's worse than what I did. So now I have to get back at you. Oh, goodness. And now you scale. have to get back at them. Ugh. And it's this cycle that goes on and on and on. And the only way to get to fairness is to step outside that cycle and be the one to break it. Wow. And that's where forgiveness comes in. It may seem like forgiveness isn't fair. You forgiving somebody that's hurt you. It, yeah. it might seem it's not fair. It's not fair that I forgive them. Doesn't undo what they did. What no. they did is still wrong. Mm -hmm. But really, it's the only thing that is fair to you. You made this great point uh, while the microphones were turned off, Jen. So nice job waiting for then. <laughs> But you said forgiveness gets so much easier when you stop making it about the other person and because realize it's not about them. It's a work that's happening inside you. Mm -hmm. And in this book by Lewis B. Smedes, he talks about how you feel the unfairness because you can't undo that unfairness. He says every victim moves through three stages of unfair pain. The first stage is that original wallop where you get hit and Ugh. it hurts and it's not fair. The second stage is when you remember that wrong that happened. Keeps on playing in your head over and over. And your body physically reacts to that yeah. pain every single time. And it's you relive it. 
The third stage is the vengeance stage, mm-hmm. that futility of wishing at least equal pain on the person who gave their pain. You're watching them, every little thing that happens in their life that might bring them to their knees. You're like, yes, yep. do it, happen, happen. But Smetis says if the victim allows herself to get mired in the third stage, she will allow the person who hurt her once to go on abusing her and her memory until she dies. And that's not fair. It's not fair to you. Forgiveness is a command by God because he loves you so much. You are his precious child. He wants you to forgive for you. He wants you to let go of it for you. He wants you to have a healthy life. He wants you to be able to go on and give him glory and honor because he knows that is the one way that you can achieve peace and joy. That's why it's fair. Forgiveness is fair. And once you get to forgiveness, it's because you've done it honestly. Yeah. I know this is going to be weird because honest and forgiveness aren't two words that you often use together. But I will use a personal example here. We don't like to feel bad things. And in 2020, you don't have to because things are so busy and things there's so many things that you can take up your time with. There's always something going on, always, whether it's virtual or whether it's uh, in person, whatever the case may be. You can always turn something on so that you don't have to feel something bad deeply. There's a place to run from all the feelings. But God wants you to sit in the feelings and be honest with them Mm. so that you can forgive honestly, completely, absolutely. I never cried more than I did during the shelter in place time back in March and April and May. I didn't understand for the longest time what I was running from. I kept just turning on Prime or turning on Netflix or getting my Kindle out. Yeah, find some piece of entertainment to escape into. But I kept crying. And I thought, oh, it's just the virus stuff. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Finally, one day I put the remote down and I put it on my bed and I I literally looked up at the ceiling in my room and I said, "Okay, God, what is it? What is it? And he said, you know what it is. (laughs) I went through a divorce in 2019. I had a lot of forgiveness that I had to sit through feelings and shame and anger and and rejection all those feelings I never wanted to feel. Yeah. But God wanted me to work through them. Honestly, so that when I came out on the other side, I was the person that he wanted and he will take you through those bad feelings. He will. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun at all. But it's good on the other side. Maybe at first you feel a little self-conscious. Because you realize that you are not the audience for this particular thing. (laughs) Maybe there has been a time in your life where you realize that you have loved something that was geared for, I don't know, children Mm -hmm. or somebody much younger than you. But you love it more than the kids do. That's a little bit how I feel right now about my excitement today. Mm Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of, you're I getting kind of antsy. I put this on my personal Facebook page. I have been talking about this for over a month now. Mm-hmm. Tonight, 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 I am going to watch with another friend of mine, the new Phineas and Ferb movie. <laughs> Th- this is a grown up friend you're watching it with. I know, another mom. 
She and I are getting together to Two. watch the new Phineas and Ferb movie. I love Phineas and Ferb. And here's the thing. I love Phineas and Ferb, the cartoon, way more than my kids ever did. I mean, my <laughs> kids were mildly amused by Phineas and Ferb. I loved it. Love that cartoon. I think it's fantastic. Candace makes me laugh out loud. Love it. Can't wait to watch this with my friend Heather tonight. We are unabashedly having a Phineas and Ferb movie watching wow. time. You, I mean, yeah. Okay. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. No. I no. mean, sometimes as adults, we enjoy things more than the children for which they were intended. I love building sandcastles on the beach. Oh. Ooh. This is the time period and my kids are in college, but they're on vacation with us and my husband and they're all reading books. And of course, for me, they didn't buy a book. I got a new bucket and shovel. <laughs> so I'm sitting <laughs> I'm sitting on the beach and I'm building sandcastles and they're watching me and some little girl next to me that I don't know, I was probably four years old on the beach and she looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm building sandcastles. You want to borrow my bucket? And she goes, no, you're big. <laughs> this is a safe place because mm-hmm. we know sometimes you as an adult enjoy things that were really meant for kids. I'll call them to let you know I love minions. Minions! Minions! Oh, yeah, I can't get enough of them. And my birthday is this coming a month, and I'm going to Build-A-Bear to buy a minion. Make my own. Oh, my goodness. You you really love minions. You're going to have your own minion? Is it Kevin? I already have Mel, Kevin, and Bob. And I have minions above my bed, little stickers, you know, those wall decals. Yeah. Yeah. I love minions more than kids do, I think. So Renee admitted to us that that thing that she loves as an adult more than most children do is minions. And apparently she's not alone. I love the minions. You know, the little yellow guys from the Despicable Me movies. Really? Yeah. Why do you love them so much? Uh, I just, they just crack me up. <laughs> I'm having a bad day. All I need to do is pull out one of those little minions and uh, I get cheered up. Yeah. But I have minions jammies. I have a minions piggy bank. <laughs> I collect the McDonald's minions when they sell them. Oh my goodness. I'll go to garage sales and look in the free boxes for little minion collectibles. <laughs> we got all kinds of them. Could we circle back to the fact that you have uh, minion jammies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I even admit it. So, yeah. How, how often do you wear them? Well, let's put it this way: our church had a car wash last spring, and I was the guy standing out with the sign dancing, and I was wearing my minions jammies. Nice. To- that's yeah, a great attention. mental image. Oh, you thank are you. fully committed. <laughs> and may I just say, your yeah. wife obviously has a sense of humor. Very much so. <laughs> yes, being married to me, she has to. They rolled her off of the transport carrier, and she was green, <laughs> and she was my first minivan. And my children stood there and looked at her, and my son said, well, she's the color of a Ninja Turtle. And she became the Ninja Turtle van. Oh, I mean, that that makes it beloved by children. I had that Ninja Turtle van 
for all of the years that my children were growing up. There was ice cream in the back cup holders. There were stickers on the windows. There was lipstick marks all over the place because my <laughs> daughter got a hold of, of some lipstick when we were on our way to a field trip once. I mean, that car was marked with all the memories of my children's growing up years. I loved her. And it got to the point where my family said, if you don't get rid of this vehicle, mom, we will never drive with you again. <laughs> She squeaked, she rattled, she had rust on the bottom, and I loved her because she had been so dependent. It, or yeah, I, I had been able to depend on her. She had a place for me to put my big old diaper bag right next to my seat. <laughs> I loved that van. And we traded her in. And I got myself a new vehicle. And as we drove away from Ramsey Mazda and I left my beautiful Mazda MPV Ninja Turtle van as we drove away, I cried. And I talked about it right here on the air the next day. And a lovely person from Ramsey called in and said, don't worry, Jen, we'll take good care of her. So a study shows that you probably have an emotional attachment to your mm. car. Yep. I mean, we a lot of us do. I mean, it, it, to me, it makes perfect sense to have an emotional attachment to the vehicle that carries you everywhere you go. To me, it makes zero sense to have feelings for a giant hunk of metal. Do you have an emotional attachment to your car, Teresa? Oh, yes. We've had a lot of good memories with our youngest daughter before she went to California. Yeah. Totally paid for. Yes! 2016 Ford Escape, mm-hmm. and we were able to pay it off, so we have no more payments. So that's why we're attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, see, the saver in me is like, okay, I can get an attachment to that. I can get on board, though, with the whole, you know, because it was her daughter's, and yeah. they have a lot of memories in it, and so you're attached to it. To me, it's just frosting that it's paid for. <laughs> yes. The day that you have to trade her in and get a new vehicle, will will you be a little sad? No. No? No. <laughs> We don't do much, so we're planning on keeping it until it just is done. It will tell you when it's ready to be traded in. Yes. This whole conversation started with us talking about how people were trying to get away from other people in their homes during this pandemic time. They were using their cars for me time. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you need to stay close to home, where's the one place that you can go outside of your home? It's in your car, in your vehicle. I'll take a phone call in mm-hmm. my car because I need privacy. And that's the only place where I can get some privacy at my house. And it would seem all of that me time with the car has led to some emotional attachments. Science says. According to science. 70% of us have an emotional attachment to our vehicles. I don't get it, but apparently there are a lot of people who have emotional attachments to their cars. Well, I have attachment to everything I own, I think. But oh. yes, I have an <laughs> attachment to my vehicle. Is it emotional? Yeah, when I bought my new car, we weren't getting rid of my old car. My husband was going to drive it, but I still cried. Because <laughs> he doesn't love it the way I do. He was going to probably get it dirty. I'll admit I have an emotional attachment to my car. I'll admit that when I was a little girl, I used to think that my stuffed animals came alive at night. So I have a great imagination. But, wow. This goes to a whole new level. I bought a love seat to go with my couch because it was going to be lonely if I left it at the store. Oh, my. Did your stuffed animals come alive at night when you were a kid? Um, Probably, yeah. Yeah, mine yeah. too. <laughs> but my husband allowed me to buy 
I love feet because it was going to be lonely. Well, he is so the enabler then. He's enabling you. That's that's what's going on here. <laughs> and the salesman said he was going to use that the next time, too. <laughs> you do an ASPCA commercial for these love seats. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Dr. Heidi, as someone who deals with anxiety, one of the things I've learned is that by the time I hit a full-fledged anxiety attack where my thoughts are racing, it feels like there is a jackrabbit turning somersaults in my chest. Mm -hmm. It's not that something came on really suddenly. It's been that things have been building and building over time, and I just didn't really notice that. Are there Uh signs that we can look for before you get to that crazy moment? Yes. Sometimes our body tells us first before our thoughts do. And so you want to stop, pay attention to your body and and notice where am I holding my tension or or what is my body telling me? Mm. Sometimes it's muscle tension. You notice that your shoulders are creeping closer and closer up to your ears. Um, There's tension headaches that we all know about, but sometimes it can be a stranger symptom. Sometimes people have numbness or tinglingness in their arms. Sometimes people have tightness in their chest. And those are all symptoms to check out with your doctor. But if you check out okay with your doctor, it might be anxiety. It might be because your body's holding that tension and your mind's not putting words to it. So what can you do about it? First of all, notice that those are signs of anxiety, and then you have to slow down and say, okay, wait a minute, I might not be aware in this moment of what I'm anxious about, but my body is telling me I'm anxious, so I need to figure it out. That's all part of that fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. You know, he's given us a body that will tell us when we're taking on too much. Yes. So you slow down, you sit down, and if you can't come up with it on your own, you can try journaling, you can try just writing down everything that you have going on. One of my favorite conversations is, you know, people come into my office and they say, I don't know why I'm so anxious. And I'm like, I know why you're anxious. You just told me all the things you have going on. It makes a lot of sense to me, right? Mm -hmm. There are reasons why our body holds on to stress, and we need to recognize that that's legitimate. Like, that's a thing. That's not just pseudoscience. Our body literally holds on to stress. And talks to us. It does. So identifying it, putting words to it. And sometimes we need to sit with it because sometimes that tension comes from us avoiding. We mm. don't want things to be hard. We don't want to go off the edge. We, we don't want to feel those hard things. But we don't want to do 2020. We <laughs> don't want to do 2020. No one does. We, we want it to be done. But we have to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think actually acknowledging I don't want to be in this difficult moment. But the only way through it is to sit here and to feel it and put words to it. Because once you put words to it, then you can move through it. If you're not putting words to it, it's sitting in your neck muscles, right? Mm. And giving you a headache. Yeah. Um, But as we acknowledge it and talk about it, then we learn about it. And then we can bring God's truth into it. We cannot bring God's truth into any anxiety that we have not put words to because we don't understand it yet. Mm. And that's why it's so important to slow down that process, sit with it, be uncomfortable, and then bring God's truth to it so you can move through it and get to that other side. When you told me about this... I think I just looked at you and said, nah. Oh, no. but it's real. No, Jen. no, no. I mean, I do believe I, and, and it's hard because you're talking to somebody who, oh, man, potato chips. Wow. I love them. But there is such thing as too much of a good thing. Or is there <laughs> is the question that Costco asks every time they release something. Costco, where everybody goes to get everything in bulk, including this. But this is too bulky. This they is too much. now sell a 27-pound bucket of macaroni and cheese. <laughs> 180 <laughs> servings of mac and cheese inside a what? white, looks like kind of a painter's bucket. Which is totally fine if you're feeding a football team. 
But for a family? I don't know, Jen. I don't know. 27 pounds. And this is uncooked, right? Yeah, uncooked. Uncooked. And here's, here's the thing, though. It is already sold out. This is a hot ticket item, Jen. Well, I don't. Who? How? Why? Well, what? Let, let me tell you, do, doing a deep dive into the reviews, one uh, gentleman who sounds single uh, said, <laughs> said that he loves it because he bought two, so he has 360 servings of mac and cheese. He cooked it all and then froze it in individual portions and ate mac and cheese for dinner for an entire year, spending only $300 on his entire year's dinner supplies. I don't even know what to do with that. I think my brain just exploded. I mean, I love the idea of the savings, but the same dinner every day for a year. Oh, but it's mac and cheese, Jen. Exactly, I never, Taylor. I, I would never get tired of mac and cheese. Never say never. I, I or eat. your co-host may make you put your money where your mouth is. I could eat 180 servings in one sitting, Jen. No, you couldn't. I want to. No. There is never a time when I finish eating mac and cheese and be like, that was exactly the right amount of mac and cheese. I always want more. I can see the appeal in some way. I can. Mm -hmm. I really can. But at my very soul and my very heart, this kind of makes me sad. Oh, I think it's brilliant. It's not brilliant. It's 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 sad. This guy buys two 27 pound containers of macaroni and cheese, makes about 360 servings of mac and cheese and just has that for dinner. For an entire year. <laughs> oh, no. What do you think? Could you do that, Christy? I could do that macaroni thing every day because well, who's to say you can't dump something else in there? Like a hamburger or ham or yeah. something, you know? You just spice it up a little bit. You, but know? you still, can dress it up. But still, Christy, at its base, it would still be macaroni and cheese. I'll just think about it for a week. Every day this week, every day you go home and you're having macaroni and cheese for dinner every single Sounds day. Sounds like heaven. But think about this. It's prepared already. All I have to do is unthaw it, and there you go. I'm like, hey, if I can be lazy, I will. You don't have to choose your dinner for an entire year, Jen. You don't have to go shopping for dinner for an entire year. You You come home from work, and it's ready. You're killing a little piece of my soul right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. You you could be so creative though, Jen. Like think about you you could toast some bread and make a mac and cheese sandwich. You could pull out some tortillas and have a mac and cheese taco. Oh my word. You could stop talking or making it work. Some eggs and make a mac and cheese omelet. Okay, you just need to stop. Or you could put the toast on a panini press and have a mac and cheese panini. I knew this was gonna go. Here. I mm-hmm. knew it. I just knew it. Once you started talking about all the variety of mac and cheese and what you can do with it, I knew it would go here. Brian has an idea of how to make your mac and cheese a little different. Try it on a waffle iron. Stop it! Stop it. <laughs> oh, you put the mac and cheese on a waffle iron? And you close it, and it turns out to be a waffle afterwards with mac and cheese. Made out of mac and cheese. Nothing else. Ooh. A mac-a-waffle? I've seen that on YouTube. Of course you have. And just because you've seen it on YouTube doesn't mean you should try it. Wait, okay, okay. How did it go when you tried it? Let's just say don't leave it on more than 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it made it a little crispy. <laughs> this has been the Taylor and Jen podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.